listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, a little less than a year ago, Rich Ryan and I did our doubles in High Rocks in Chicago. And then it kind of got me fired up and I trained solidly for a while. And then something popped up. Shocker. But before something popped up, I did a workout. I did 10 by 3 minutes at 6% incline and then finished uh, 60 seconds recovery between reps and then finished up the last rep, took 60 seconds rest, and then did a 2K row time trial. And I went 7 flat point three. Oh, wow. So this weekend, I replicated the workout again because I'm at that place where I'm doing a lot of lunging and aerobic threshold hills and leg builder workouts where you feel okay, but you have no clue what your fitness is. So I did a very similar workout. I'd go three minute on, one minute off at 6% on the treadmill, three minute on, one off, then three on, 500 meter row, two on. So a five minute rep split by a 500 meter row. And then I'd take Mm. 90 seconds. I did three rounds of that. So it came out to nine three-minute reps, two two-minute reps, and two 500s. I didn't do the 500 row on the last round. And then did the 2K time trial. It went 659.4. It's quick at the end of all that. I mean, that's quick, period. So I gained nine-tenths of a second in the last nine months or six months or whatever. Yeah, but you also had more rowing in previously than the first time you did the workout. Right. A little bit more rowing, a little bit more rest. It tells me (laughs) that maybe I'm in equivalent fitness. What does it tell you? I thought I was in good shape then. And you had a great race after that. I mean, when you did race. This was six weeks performed well in that doubles. Oh, I thought that was prior. Got it. Doubles, I was on a limited time frame getting ready for that race. But then afterwards, I realized I'm pretty healthy. I just keep rolling. This was like six or eight weeks after that race. Right before I had okay. my next setback. So it was a good. Which you should have been in even better shape. Yes, I was for sure. So it was a good reassuring yeah. workout, but it's funny that I got to the end of this thing the way we do often, thinking I'm going to be so much faster on this buyout here. I'm going to be fast. And I'm going and I'm like, all right, I think I'm ahead of pace. And it's going to be way under seven, way under seven. And then you see the numbers start to climb up a little bit and climb up. And I ended up dipping under by seven, six tenths of a second. I'd rather be on that side of it than the other side of it, Brackenstein. So, so that was my that was my big quality workout. What do you think? Week. What do you think you could hit a two k time trial fresh on the rower right now? I. What do you think? I would think ten seconds faster. I would think my goal would be I would to, think at uh, to least break six fifty. What's your fastest ever? Have you ever hit it with a purposeful that, that one was. training block? Six fifty nine. Six fifty nine point four. I've never. I did one. My first one I did fresh, first attempt ever, yeah. and since then I've always done them as finishers to a threshold workout. Two K time trial is one of the worst things in the world. I think I went six thirty six, six thirty seven, or did something really? like that when I was. When I was injured, oh yeah, I have the um, I have a screenshot of it somewhere. I mean, it was probably the hardest I've ever worked in my entire life. <laughs> like that it was awful. It was horrible. It was honestly the worst thing I've ever done. I think, uh, and I took it to just like my third attempt when I was injured. I was rowing okay. a lot. This is years ago, and 
Um, I think I went like seven or six forty-seven my first crack, six forty-three my second, and then blew it out one last time, and wow. then said I'm never going to do that again. And I have never done it again ever. Yeah, it was horrible. This and wonderful. This was like a nine and a half out of ten. This wasn't. I tried to to take a measured approach. Um, if I was fresh, it would be worse because I would take the restrictor plays off and thrash. But it's one of those weird tests where your legs start to go so you can switch to your arms for a little bit. Then your arms start to go and you try to switch back to your legs for a little bit. And I'm not a good enough rower to just have pristine form. And so I'm trying to game it like yeah. every few strokes, let my back take over or my forearms or my co- – and eventually everything was just smoked uh-huh. and screaming at me. Matt Gross is going to chime in here. I bet. Oh, yeah. Give us your wisdom, Matt, with our slow, slow-ass road times. So I average uh, one, what, seven, one forty-five per five hundred is seven beautiful. flat, I think. Mm-hmm. So I was like one forty-four ninety-nine or whatever it would be, and I think that if he, I think he could keep that for like an hour. <laughs> He's a monster. <laughs> um, I don't mean to, I don't mean to to not uh, derail, but. I have a hot take that I've been thinking recently, and I think I'm going to piss some people off by saying this, but I really don't care. Okay. And yeah, all right, Oof, loosen the I'm collar a little there, Bracken. Yeah. Well, no, it's not. It's not such a hot take. It's an opinion that might border on a hot take. But just listening to you talk about your three-minute reps, and then your 500-meter row, and then more to reps, and then more rowing, and this is not a knock on anybody because I prescribe similarly for my hybrids athletes. So like, this isn't me on some sort of pedestal, but it's all just a bunch of shit, Bracken. This hybrid training, random crap thrown on a whiteboard, go hit your rower. And then why don't we do wall balls today instead of burpee broad jumps? Why don't we do 20 seconds of this and 50 reps of that? And everybody shows their dumb whiteboard and their dumb sets and their dumb workout thinking it's so intuitive and ingenious when really like you got the things you need to do. You can mash them up and organize them in any way you want and then put it up there and look like you know what you're doing. I think it's all just a bunch of fluff. I think you're going to get good results on most anything as long as there's some thought behind what systems are being worked. You can move the puzzle pieces around wherever you want. But all the hybrid humans out there who are fantastic athletes, I think there's like a misconception that like it's genius, like these workouts put together, but it's foundational hard work with the components that the race require. And whatever their skill set lacks or they need more of, they sprinkle in more of that and less of this. And I just think that, like, it's not magic. I think that it's way more basic than people think. And it sounds so complicated when you see them on paper, but it's not. That's what I think. And I just keep seeing more and more hybrid stuff popping up, these workouts mm-hmm. and these wads, and everybody's all mystified. And I think it's, we overcomplicate it. I think it's very simple. What do you think? Well, Tell I was me. really prepared to argue on this because I didn't like how you started this out. And then you said, it, <laughs> okay. the, it's just systems. It's just engine work. And then you throw in your race-specific yeah. work, and I realized, yeah, okay, he's going to get to a play, place that I agree with. I do not think it's simple. <laughs> I think that it's really – I should say, I think no? that like most things, it's simple early on. Work on anything you want, and you're going to get better. But as soon as you stop the noob gains, then I think it becomes complicated in terms of how do I maximize – my ability on all the stations of a hybrid event and be able to train it long-term and arrive good at all of them at once. I think if you do your first high rocks, let's say, it's really easy to get better for your second one. But when you're at the point where I've PR'd 
and I need to work on something, but I can't lose what I've built and I want all eight stations to arrive primed. How do I balance all that with how much lifting should I be doing? And with all the sled work I'm doing, where do I pull back on my leg lifts or or, or ramp up to support it? I think once you start fine tuning, it, there are an infinite number of of ways to get it done. And I think that becomes complicated. And that's where it comes down to athlete intuition and or a good coach, right? Yes. So what I'm saying, I'm arguing, oh, I b- agree with you 100%. It's more like you see a random workout and it's not random by the person who designed it. They have Hopefully. they have design to it. Correct. But that's what they're doing that day. But maybe they're, they don't have a hard time transitioning from the sled to the run like you do maybe. Or, mm-hmm. or maybe that is their weakness and yours, that's one of your strengths. And so we see random wads thrown up and people steal them as they should. That's why we share them so people can yes. do them. At the same time, it's actually way more specific than you think. So what I'm saying is like what you're seeing somebody just randomly doing like, oh, Meg Jacoby did this row clean pull-up wad for some reason. Like that may not move your needle the way it needs to. So it's like utterly simple and utterly complex based on your intuition as an athlete. That's why I'm saying it's all like fluff. Like you don't really know what's happening in these sessions. It's just to you, it looks like you're taking random components and throwing them together and after a certain point, yes, you need to dial in on aspects that you need to be better. But like, I don't think, I don't know. I just, it's just interesting. They're so complicated, like on paper and I prescribe them. I'm telling you, I'm the same way. I'm prescribing complicated workouts, but like, I don't think, I don't think it's that genius to put these things together. I think that it's, I think that it's very important when you get to the stage you're talking about to work the pieces specifically that need to mm-hmm. be worked. But I think as a general statement, I don't think it's that complicated. And it no. looks complicated. That's well, what I think. The two pieces to that I want to respond to. The first is, I'll do it reverse order. The first is that you're right. I think it's not, I agree with you. It's It doesn't take a genius to make a complicated workout. I think the genius is Correct. in taking a ton of moving pieces and presenting a simple workout that addresses everything you need. That's the difference. Could not agree more. The more I have yep. to read through the workout, the more I'm thinking, oh, there had to be a better way to do this. And sometimes there's not. Yeah. Like I give some workouts that are long. Like you have you have to you're gonna have to write it down or screenshot this because you're not gonna remember mm-hmm. it. But I think the really good coaches can give you a simple version of that. And and what you said is it just may not work for you the way it works for other people. I was on Hunter's podcast two weeks ago. And he said, if you could just have one thing for high rocks, Bracken, if you could only buy one piece of equipment to train for high rocks, what would it be? And I said, if it wasn't just like a barbell with weights, either a sled or maybe like an assault bike, honestly, even though it's not part of high rocks, just one thing to tie everything mm-hmm. together, a sled, an assault bike, maybe a rower. And he goes, nope. Skierg. If you could have just one thing, mm-hmm. Skierg tells you. And, and right in that moment, I was like, this is exactly it, right? If Hunter is a monster on the Skierg. He's going to be a monster in high rocks because he brings all the other pieces to the table already. But if his engine is big enough to be a good runner and good at the skier and it doesn't cost him and his core is so strong and dynamic that he can move through that faster than anyone else and get to the sleds first, he's already won. But I could be the best skierger in the world and I might still take seven minutes on the sled pull. So you're exactly right. It's who cares what everyone else is doing is the workout design for what you suck at. You have a good way of articulating things. I just speak from my heart. You speak from your brain sometimes. I think 
What I am saying is there is no magic workout or magic sauce. And nope. a lot of times we, I think people see these things on social media. You got Ryan Kent grinding in his driveways in garage. You got Rich Ryan pushing his sled down his carpet runway in his driveway. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like trying to maybe do exactly what they're seeing. I'm assuming because I've had athletes refer to it, you know, in, in our yep. conversations, but I don't think any one thing is magic. I just don't, I think it's, I think it's over and under complicated at the same time. And I just have been thinking that over the last few weeks and months, just seeing all these things being popped up. Hybrid's honestly the saving grace to OCR, if you want to say that. Yeah. It's not OCR, but like, I think it's, I think it's the future. I think it's going to be the one thing that has a good foothold and gets people excited consistently. Uh, what Spartan had maybe five, six, seven years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just catching on, man. And I just, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of magic, a lot of magic. What do we call it? Not, not snake oil salesman because nobody is. Mysticism. I'd say mysticism. Um, well, that's all. In, that's in, all I just wanted to say. I don't you're, think it's magic. You're right. It's new. And whenever something's new, you'll see people throw a million things at the wall because it sticks for certain people. But what we need to remember is that even though this combination of events and movements is new, all the other movements exist in this world and we know how to train best yep. for them. And so we, we don't need to forget all those pieces. But what this what this was an unintentional, we didn't plan this, but this is the perfect intro no. to the episode today because this is step yeah, three it is. of our How to Train Yourself episode. And the title of the episode is The Best Scientific Training Plan Versus The Best Training Plan for You. Well, we teed it up, I suppose, didn't we? Yeah, Absolutely. Because yeah. we talked about there are low mileage athletes and high mileage athletes, and we could just stop right there. Why are there two? Which one is scientifically accurate? And the answer is yes. Yes, they both are scientifically accurate. And they work for different people differently and at different stages of their athletic careers. You have someone like Bernard Lagat, who was, what, one-tenth away from the 1,500-meter world record. He's the second fastest individual ever. He also ran sub 13 in a 5k and allegedly never ran more than 60 miles a week in his life. Then you have, which is unheard who, of for somebody pursuing those race distances. In case anybody's yeah. wondering. And then you'd take a look at who are the only other people to match his type of metrics. It would be Kenanisa Bekele in terms of going 1500 all the way through marathon. It would be Haile Gebrselassie doing the same thing. And in our mm -hmm. present day and time, it would probably be Jakob Ingebrigtsen going 1,500 through 5K, also winning World Cross Country. And you did have Elliot start at the 5K and go all the way up to the marathon. I mean, Elliot did run. He didn't start at the 15, I don't True. think. True. And not one of those days, people. He was a fantastic 5K. Yeah, he was world champ and ran sub Correct. 13. And not one of those people averages less than 100 miles per week. So you have, like, what, what's right? Would Legat have been better or would they be better? And the answer is that they found a system they believed in for themselves, even if science said that the other one could have maybe worked better. So even just high mileage versus low mileage. And then you have these, these systems like the five-pace theory or the multi-pace theory, or you have people who do polarized training. And then you have people like... The Norwegian threshold approach, who run one pace, basically. They run threshold 90% of the time. It, there are all these different scientific approaches. Should you just pick one of them and do it until it works? Or is there a version of it that works for you? Just like we talked about workouts that don't make any sense. And we talked about why boring is best, but, but not if you, you don't like being bored. 
how do we now tie this together and say, how do we take the best possible scientific training and throw it out the window and make it your own? Yeah, and I think the best question to ask to start this conversation is where do you start? Where do you start? Where do you yeah. start? Meaning, where do you start? Do you start with research and science? Let's say you're new to running or you're like, hey, I'm going to start taking it seriously now. I've been a casual runner and now I'm going to pursue hybrid or I'm going to pursue the marathon or I'm going to do whatever. Uh, do you start with science or do you start with what's best for you? And this is a catch 22 because you don't know what's best for you. Right. But science is probably also going to get you injured if you emulate what science suggests or what the pros are doing right off the bat. So I think the biggest question you ask is like, do you feel it out early on in your training and running career? Or do you go straight to the facts? Which one do you start with? I think I have uh, an opinion on this, but I've already shared a strong one today. So why don't you start? Well, I do want you to start actually, but I'm going to start with a caveat. And I've said it on here oh, before, boy. but in this day and age, people are always like, follow the science, do your own research, follow the science. And people forget that science is not an exact science. Math, math is exact. Science is not. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a hypothesis. I think anything in algebra... I think anything algebra and beyond is, in fact, I think that's all just... <laughs> that's magic and mysticism. <laughs> magic. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is. Continue. So when you talk about science being science, science is the pursuit of knowledge and information based on hypotheses. You take something hypothetical and you try to prove could this be true or not. And if you can come up with it could be, that's science. Or it could not be. You rarely prove yes, but you can prove mostly yes. Sometimes yes is proved, but yes is usually contingent upon the hypothesis that you start with, whereas math just deals with black and white fact. Science fact is based on what the question was, not about what the reality of all things are. And I hope I'm muddying the water as little as possible, but let's just remember that even when we say science-based training, science is dependent on what you're setting out to prove. So even if the science was based on a sample size of 400 people, what 400 people did we choose and how did we test it? Like the protocol determines how accurate the science is. So let's not just assume that science means fact or truth because it doesn't always. I think that's important to say. What I'm gathering is we're all scientists. Way to go, guys. <laughs> Look at us. That's doctor. I think that's what you're saying, yeah, doctor. Dr. Cracker. So, Dr. So Dr. Cracker has a good your, name to it. Dr. Right. Cracker? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, go like to a Dr. Cracker. Dr. Crocker, I might see. He sounds trustworthy. Uh, Kick me okay. off with your 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 impassioned take here, Kirk. Where do you start? Um, it's do you not start with science or do you start with yourself? I'm writing it back in. Um, we are all scientists. I actually agree with that uh, statement. That I, I do in the fact <laughs> – Correct. <laughs> in, the, in the sense – in the sense, yes, I very much agree with myself. Um, in the sense that we have one subject study to go off of personally, and it is ourselves, mm -hmm. right? And so I think it actually starts there for most runners. Yes, we follow those on social media, and we maybe read books and listen to podcasts and gather, gather information and experiment. But I think most runners start with themselves, right? Like mm -hmm. you back in high school or whatever, like there was no – you weren't reading 80-20 nope. running. It didn't exist. You weren't – 
following anything other than what your coach did or what you intuitively ran in the summer. And I think we typically start with what we are feeling out as best for ourselves. And then at some point, we either feel like we're not getting better or we're craving more or now we want to have a little more rhyme or reason. And then we start to do our research and maybe do what science is telling us. Um, so I think there's like this ramp up phase to to most progression that way. At the other end of the coin, um, I think some people now, let's say you're a high schooler running now versus us, how long ago was it, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, almost lead with the science. They are like, well, I'm going to start running, and then we have all this readily available information via podcast to us, and we start to gather all these things and then try to apply it. So there's like two different ways, I think, people have come at this. And I do think years ago it was like, I'm going to play around with it myself and then figure it out Mm -hmm. and then study. And now it's almost like I have all this information overload and now I have no reading of what my body is or doing or what it should do or how it should respond. And then you almost have to go back. It's like back in the day we started with like our body finished with science. Now it's almost like people are starting with info and science and then morphing it to their bodies. So opinion-wise, I don't really know what is the best way, but I think it will be sussed out, and it's always going to be a combination of the two. I think it's always going to be a combination of the two if you're going to get your best self. And I want to give a number of specifics here, but I just want to get your take on that. When, uh, like, You can come at it from both sides of the coin. You can. I, I believe that most people need to read more. I believe that you need to understand the why in order to do the how. And so understanding it really should drive everything for you. And the only way to understand it is to seek out the information and consume it. And so what my process was took a lot longer than what the process would today because of the ease of access of information. But I believe that everyone should just go out and start reading articles or books on the the most popular or widespread forms of training. So I went through and I just bought originally, I bought books and I found articles online. So I started with Jack Daniels, um, distance running book. And then I bought Joe Friel's, the triathletes training Bible, and then his heart rate training book. And I read science of running website with Steve Magnus. And I ran every, read every article I could find about Alberto Salazar and Renato Canova and all the interviews and, uh, video recordings of different talks they'd given. And I found, um, who else was there? No, I'm sure. Uh, Joe Rubio's guide to middle distance training. I read several times because I really found it interesting and I really liked the way he thought. <sighs> Who else was there? Frank Horwell. May I interrupt real quick? Yes. When? When did you start this? 2011, 2010, 2010 probably is when I started. Okay. And when did you start running competitively? Uh, if you count the first track race I ran, that would have been 1999. Okay. So you went like a decade where you trained off of either what you were told just listen or what right so in your progression just outline like your progression like you just started with the science as part of your conversation right now which i agree with like i think that absolutely all uh runners who really care about their performance and want to grow and get better should but you did have a large ramp up phase where you were sort of, you know, either the blind leading the blind or a coach leading you, or you just putting on your running shoes in the summer and running without necessarily a well thought out plan that was researched. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm trying to gather, like depends where you are in your journey with running, but I just wanted to outline that. Like, it's not like you were in seventh grade reading, No, you know, I graduated college and got, so I just wanted to outline that on what, what is out there 
So, yep. so that that okay. was most of it. Then you know, Matt Fitzgerald came along, and and other books have come out since that we've run um, progressive overload for training for cyclists and different things like that. But in reading these, as you're reading it, you you just instantly have reactions to what you're reading. And oftentimes it's, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Or that sounds really good in theory, but I just intuitively, I feel that that's not me. You know, you read through Jack Daniel's book and I think, I think about 75% of this is made for me, but this part, I just, it doesn't seem right. And then I re- I'd read through something like, like Matt Fitzgerald. And I think this is tailor made for me. And when I got to the, the Norwegian threshold approach, I realized this is very much made for me except for except for one part of it i read joe rubio's guide to middle distance and i think that really sounds right to me other people's i'd read and think it's good and all but it's not it's not really for me so but what if you read the norwegian what if you read the norwegian training philosophy in 2011 would you been like that's not for me at all i'm not even how would i be ready i wouldn't have trusted it it, no right it's just i'm what i'm trying to do here is we're chatting this out is very much say how point out how individualized this is going to be right and and so I'll get I'll get somewhere with this and I'll start getting there right yeah. now and yeah. and so what I and so what I did is I started with the first one that made that, that as I'm reading it I thought that's interesting to me <clears throat> off the little I know about myself I think this would work well and that was Jack Daniels and so I used one of his I think it would have been his advanced guy I don't remember what the terminology is anymore and I followed a plan for that. And I got to the end of it and thought, I consistently felt beat up by this one thing. And I felt like it wasn't moving the needle at all. And so then I built my own version of his plan as I'm reading some more plans. And I got through to the end of it and thought, I think I'm doing too much based off what I've always done. So I'd like to branch out and try this style. And then I gave myself 26 weeks of a new style. And I got to the end of that and I was very, very fit. And I had lost a little bit in one area. And so then I revamped that one with a new style and I took it too far in one direction. But so the point of all this is, is I started with the thing that felt like it sounded right for my body in my mind. And I started with it while still reading everything else I could find. And as things mm-hmm. popped up to me that I'm underdeveloping in certain areas or I'm overdeveloping an area I don't need to, I decided to start tweaking it myself. And I did that until I ran into a roadblock that some other master could solve better than I could. And I tried that. But I gave each thing like a minimum of 12 to 18 weeks of really following it through before I would make any sort of decision on it. But I think nowadays... People can shortcut that process because it wasn't until I read Steve Magnus's Science of Running website that I realized fast twitch athletes and slow twitch athletes might need to train differently, even if they're training for the same event. And finally, through that lens, it was just one little blurb in a slideshow, I think, that I had actually found on a PowerPoint that he had presented to someone online, I found, and I realized, I think a lot of the things that I've always felt I respond to or don't respond to correlate more to my muscle fiber type more than a training system. And then that was like a light bulb moment. But these days, most good running books are going to talk about why it's going to work for you rather than just here's the science. So I think nowadays the pro- the learning curve, which took me probably seven years to get to that point, could probably happen in like seven days now of reading. So I still think people need to read as many different of the like those buzzword training protocols as possible and start with the one that makes the most sense 
but keep reading and exploring to make sure that your own personal bias doesn't cloud your judgment. Yeah, um, and we're all going to have our own personal bias, which is going to cloud your judgment, unfortunately yeah. or fortunately. I, you know what I think when I when I hear you talk through all this? Um, and I followed a similar process. I actually used to read a lot more. I read a lot of Carmichael's stuff. You remember Carmichael, Carmichael's training systems? It was Lance Armstrong's coach, uh, applying some of those philosophies. Um, I hear you talk about your progression of reading and over the years, and I think it's, it sounds like people are listening to a podcast not to be sent on 20 years of like future reading and work. I think the sentiment is true, and they should read and and everybody should educate and experiment and get slowly but surely dialed in and hit roadblocks and successes and all of these other things. But it does sound um, not exhausting, but like if we could condense it, right? Not say, okay, go okay. read and experiment and play. Um, yeah, I think we all know that, right? So it's more like, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know? Like, if I'm going to condense this down into like an elevator pitch, on like a more strong opinion. You're saying educate yourself mm -hmm. and I kind of think you're saying listen to your intuition as it goes, right? And I think every runner has a bit of intuition in them. I think that should be your northern light or your guiding star uh, in regards to training decisions. But if we're going to sandwich it down, if you could condense down all of that, what would you condense it down to? Hmm. I don't know. I, because I truly believe it's like going to a restaurant that you've never been before and just reading the menu with no pictures. Something's going to jump out at you. I think you're going to have something that I think that's safe. It may not be my favorite here, but I think I could do this. And then something's going to jump up like, this is going to be boom or bust. I think you're going to get those same gut feelings about reading a training plan. But I guess what I would say is if you really wanted to learn, you would just pick like the main things. I would find one coach or website that talks about low volume, high intensity. One coach that talks about high volume, low intensity, and one coach that talks about a measured approach. And read those three people. You can do that in one weekend. Part of the reason it took me seven years to read most of these is that there weren't resources compiled in one place. Now you can just with a simple Google feature, just search it up and you can read everything you need to read in like probably two or three hours on each one of those systems. You can be done in one weekend. Now you won't be a master of it, but you'll know enough to understand the low level, like ground floor information to know which one excites me, which one seems like this would probably work, but it may not be my best. And which one just sounds disgusting to me. I don't know if that's elevator pitchy enough for you. Well, no, I think it's, I think the place that people are going to struggle if they're going to read the science or read training methodology and then apply to themselves is like where to find it. Right. We used to get the question a lot about, like, uh, we would refer to watching races on YouTube or keeping up with the running. I want to be a fan of running, but I don't know how because yeah. there's limited resources. And so uh, what to look up on YouTube, for example, which now we're all subscribed to the right channels and we're kept in the loop. And there will be a video popping up today about the world record set in the marathon yesterday. And that mm -hmm. will be in our feed because we found it, right? And so I think the same just goes for, like, you know, you refer to these books and there's podcasts and all the things we've alluded towards, but it's like, where do I start, right? Like, is Google really like running methodology books, Googling that? Is it specific recommendations, correct? Like simply listening to our podcast or, hey, start with 8020 running by Matt Fitzgerald. Mm -hmm. Start with this book by this person and that book by that person. Like giving tangibles, I think elevator pitchy is maybe not the right request for me. More like 
people are still kind of walking around Give me in three the dark things room, to right? read. It'll point me yeah, in the right like that will get me started and will uh, then will set me down a correct path. That's what I'm getting at. Yes. Okay. Is that better? Yeah, I think that's good. Okay, so yeah. saying this is going to ruffle feathers of all the hardcore believers out there, choosing who the representatives are of different systems. But but I'm going to say, if you want to learn about intensity, multiple quality workouts in a week, I think your entry level is Jack Daniels. I think that's where most people start anyway. I think it's very palatable, easy to understand, and there is a lot of intensity in his program. So read Jack Daniels, either his training guide or yep. a synopsis of it online. A lot of these books too. Like let's say Matt Fitzgerald's 80-20 running, um, just because he's been a guest on here and everybody's fairly familiar with that book. Like You kind of get the gist of it after one chapter and then 10 chapters dissected even further. So like the Cliff Notes version, if you're looking to speed up the process, I think is actually a pretty safe way to at least understand the philosophy mm-hmm. of what that person is, is behind. Do you agree with that? Like typically yeah. you'll understand the theme pretty quick and then it'll start splitting hairs, but continue. So I think that he's the entry level to that. Then I think from there, Frank Horwell has the multi-pace training theory, five-pace training theory. That's okay. where I believe Peter Coe, who is Seb Coe's dad, got a lot of what he works with, mm-hmm. his multi-pace tiered system. They basically believe that there's like five key paces. I'm going to... I'm not even going to just explain all of it. That basically, think of the five most common race distances. You're going to have something like sprint pace, uh, middle distance pace, so like mile through 3K. Then you're going to have 5K, 10K, and tempo. Essentially, those are going to be your paces. They believe in touching on all of those paces throughout every training cycle, even weekly for a lot of the athletes. So that's going to be a more intensive, scripted, advanced version in talking about the prescription of intensity than Jack Daniels will have. So I think those are two really good places to start with Frank Horwell and Jack Daniels to learn about the intensity side of the equation. Do you have anything else you want to add to people they should maybe check out or are those two good places to start? It depends how um, base level you want to get, Um, like foundational, like, uh, like the science of running by Steve Mays, for example. If you, agree with some of the things he says like do you want to start with like do you want to start with like baseline knowledge and then develop principles or is everybody looking through a biased lens even somebody like steve magnus who wrote the science of running well they're all biased but i most of these books start with an intro to what works for the human body and why and they're all pretty similar and then they diverge and go down into all that being said Here's how to best work it. So I think you're going to get the same general prelude to the book, the prologue in any one of these books. But I think it just in terms of separating into a higher intensity, a medium intensity, and a low intensity approach to it. Those would be the two I'd recommend Mm -hmm. to start with for people who want to work on or learn about all the different types of quality days and intensities that you could have in a program. People who want three quality days in a week. That kind, that that end of the spectrum. Those are the two I would start with, and I guess I would add Joe Rubio's uh, training for the middle distance runner or training guide for the middle distance runner. I don't remember the exact, and it's a PDF you can get it in, and it's pretty widely available online. That's a really good summation of both of those systems kind of combined into one. Okay, 
Um, how would that differ from 80-20, let's say, an example? Because 80-20 is sort of simplifying it a little further, saying For this sure. part is quality, this part is easier. Um, you would suggest those two over, let's say, an 80-20 running? Well, I would put 80-20 running and the Norwegian threshold approach on the other end of the spectrum. I would put those towards okay. people who want less frequent intensity and less intense intensity. But they okay. both kind of sit differently on the spectrum. So I guess I would put the Norwegian model of training, that double threshold approach or just threshold-based training, kind of dead set in the center where it does occur more frequently, but the workouts aren't as massive and they're not as destructive and they're not as intense. So Marius Bakken, B-A-K-K-E-N, MariusBakken.com, is, he's kind of like the godfather of all of this. His website has a few articles he's written that just very clearly state what this is, how I came to this conclusion. He's also a doctor. So he's a 13, like 10-ish 5K runner and a doctor, and he's done his doctoral thesis on muscle tone and how it recovers in between double th sessions, things like that. So he's coming at it from the science and the practical field approach side to this. So I think that would sit right in the middle where he believes in volume, he believes in frequency of intensity, but less intense intensity. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I would have someone like 80-20 training, polarized training, where the real big focus is aerobic development with less frequent intensity, but making sure that it checks the correct boxes on the intensity day. I think those would be the three points I would start with. I'd read the Marius Bakken approach. I'd read that like three quality day a week approach of the Frank Horwell, the Seb and Peter Coe, the Jack Daniels. And then I would read Matt Fitzgerald and I would read all of them in at least the first two or three chapters of all those books and then decide right away, all right, which of these is speaking to me? Mm. And you could add Arthur, Lyd Arthur Lydiard to that list as well. Someone who's big on volume big on correct intensities and big on periodization, but making sure that that aerobic system is developed like till kingdom come. All of that yeah, there's also in a week. There's a book I had stumbled upon a few years ago and it was published by Runner's World. Um, on the opposite end of Lydiard is just run, run, run less, run faster mm -hmm. is the name of the book. Okay. And it outlines a lot of the training that I've unfortunately had to do. It's like, if you're only going to run three days a week, for health reasons or time reasons or whatever, how to make it the opposite approach. And some of those are some of the foundational pieces, the way I built programs. But I think what I'm hearing, so that, so you are much more well-studied, well-versed, well-read than I am in any of this, which is interesting because I used to read a whole bunch, especially post-collegiately. And then I would say in the last five years, I've probably absorbed most of my in info, honestly, from either podcast listening having a guest on audibly i haven't read a, th a thing honestly like mm -hmm. i haven't read a full book cover to cover in in five years probably on running or run training which almost might seem hip you know hypocritical of me being a run coach but i think you're more of a thinker than i am i think you're very good at dissecting and experimenting i mean you write down 25 week training plans at times <laughs> Uh, ideas of grandeur building up to like a perfect culmination, And then you go back and rewrite it, of course, based on how things mm -hmm. are going. But what I'm getting at is I'm, as you're talking here, and I realize you're the subject matter expert on the science. Like I have been just basically taking case studies from myself, mm -hmm. from my athletes, picking snippets here and there from either podcasts, nuggets that I find online or other things, experimenting and then applying. And both can yield really good 
results, I think it doesn't mean like because you don't read state Steve Magnus's book or you don't check those boxes that you don't care or you don't you're not going to get better. I think it is going to absolutely take a combination of two, but I'm just realizing now we come at this from completely opposite sides of the coin. Like mine's like, how do I feel? How did this feel? Mm -hmm. How did, you know, and, and of course that's part of your equation as well, but it's just very interesting um, to outline the differences between us. I almost exclusively now let intuition guide based on some principles, of course, but I don't know. How do you look at that? Well, I think that's step two. That's the graduated approach. I think that to know how you feel, you have to be able to compare it to something. And most people who are, that are new to running don't have a body of work for comparison's sake and haven't tried multiple training approaches to have any sort of comparison. And so instead of using the how do I feel, you start by what do I know? And you have to expand that rapidly when you're new to anything. You have to accumulate information as quickly as possible. And you did that. So what I did with all these is I read, 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 read. So I read the Jack Daniels, the Frank Orwell, the Joe Rubio, and it really spoke to me. I really liked the idea of it, which is why I started with that. But I liked it because it talked about multi-paced training theory. It talked about three quality sessions per week. That's what I've been doing in high school and college. You know, For the past nine years, I had been running multi-paced training. And our college program was based on the multi-paced training theory for middle distance runners. And so it really spoke to me. I liked it. But the more I went on, the more I saw this really shortchanges my aerobic development because I lean into the thing that I need less of. And I started to think, how do I feel? Do I feel like there's a long-term progression here? Do I feel like this leads me to stagnation or other things like that? And that led me to look into Arthur Lydiard, Phil Maffetone, people who are based more on build the engine side rather than the anaerobic sharpness side. And so once you've you've read enough to get a grasp on how should I feel? What should this be accomplishing? You can move more into how do I actually feel? So I think it's just a, mm. a graduated place to be where now when I'm reading, I'm reading to further my understanding or to make sure I'm not missing pieces in individual athletes development. But if I go to write my own training or anyone else's, I just sit down and write. It's when a new problem well, right. you don't hits me is when I open a book now, but you're just to that second stage where you know what you need to know. And now it's about how does it make me feel? And I think that's the important development yeah. of an athlete is start with the menu item that speaks to you and you eat that entree. And that kind of tells you where you need to go next. But for most people, that place to go next is aerobic development, which pushes you towards the side of the Norwegian model or 80-20 or places like that because they're simple. Part of the allure of coaches using multi-paced training theory is that it's super novel and it looks exciting and sexy, but it's very complicated to do really well. Whereas 80-20 is super simple. So it's a really nice place to move to once you don't need novelty anymore. I'm trying to think of the things I've come across over the years that have impacted me the most um, that I still kind of sort of like have let guide me to this day. Like you've done a bit more reading than I have. And you alluded towards something that really resonated with you. And you're like, oh, that is me. Like maybe it's just me letting my muscle fibers dictate how I make my training decisions, right? What my mm -hmm. body needs based on my, my composition, my DNA. Well, and what I want to ask you, and I'll give mine first, um, is you gather info over the years and 
again, things resonate, they feel true to you or they're revelations mm -hmm. and they're eye opening. And then you're like, oh my God, this, this speaks to me or this piques my interest or this feels right. And the two for me, the biggest two, and I let this really guide me is one, um, and, and I'll say it to no end, like the 80-20 running principle, I know like it's a common, it's a dumbed down book, but that's what I need. Mm -hmm. And I say that's going to speak to 70% of runners right away. You don't even need to read, sure. read it really. Just be like, hey, 20% of the time run hard and 80% of the time run easy and run very little in between, right? For me, I was running before I started taking training seriously again in my adult life and training for performance after a bit of a hiatus absolutely just running in the middle ground all the time. And I wasn't getting any better. I was running 16 low in the 5k every time, every time, just the same thing for years and years on end, never breaking through, right? Just mm -hmm. like, why am I not getting better? That was why I was always running at half capacity because I was always somewhat tired and anyways. So that resonated with me. And then I don't know, you've read training for the uphill athlete. I assume mm -hmm. you own it. There's a section in there. I believe it's training for the uphill athlete. But it's talking about systems work based on the type of athlete you are. And it's talking about if you are a fast twitch athlete and how to sort of dissect or discover that, you may notice that if you do lots of short interval training, you peak really quick and then you just fizzle out and stagnate. And if you are a fast twitch athlete and you continue to sit in threshold work constantly, you will notice that you have a gradual and steady improvement and it only takes you a week or two to sharpen up. On the other end of the coin, it's like if you're a slow twitch athlete, you may respond really well to regular speed work and you won't hit a hit a performance plateau early. It will, you can sustain a season long quarter mile repeats, ripping them with mm -hmm. lots of rest because that's what you need to balance out your physiology. And when I read the signs in there and like, what kind of athlete are you and what do you respond best to? It was like, oh my God, like every time I start adding in speed work, and focusing on that and let go along grindy stuff, I peak and then I go nowhere but backwards for the next right. couple of months. It was like, it was like I read that and I was like, oh my god, like I That's just need me. to go out there and yeah, in quote grind. I need to go out there and stay away from the flashy stuff until it's just the right time because I corner my fitness and the way I respond to it is like I recover quicker from long grindy stuff. Oddly enough, I X Y and Z like I just feel it's like oh my god, and then I started just letting that guide most of my training decisions. And I went from 16, 19 in the 5k, taking off over a minute and extending out my stay power just by like not giving myself what I felt best doing. Like, oh, it feels yeah. really good to run quarter mile repeats because that's my wheelhouse. I don't need to just stroke my ego every week. What I need to do is keep laying pavement. And so between 80, 20 running, teaching me to slow down or speed up, but rarely in between. And then the combination of understanding what type of athlete I am, my physiology, and then what I respond to. And this is based off of past um, experiences, meaning like, oh, yeah, this season I bonked out and peaked two months early and then I got to Worlds and I sucked or I did like no right. crap. And so those two things out of all the things I've read over the years, that's it. And I still think about those two things constantly. And I think if you're going to d whittle it down, it's like what are the what are the things that stick out? to you that just feel right and you've noticed aha that is me or i have responded well to this or i've responded poorly to that and so it's not an easy thing to do and you don't even know when you're going to come across it it could be a silly instagram reel that somebody pop pops up on your feed and you're like whoa and it strikes your curiosity and you go down that rabbit hole so those are my two and then my curiosity now and spitting it to you and i feel like again you're more of the subject study expert here if we're talking about literature is what are yours 
Those are my two, without question. Mm-hmm. Well, mine was similar. It's that fast twitch, slow twitch approach that I respond to fast twitch training. But correct, I improve long term off slow twitch training, and I don't improve short term off of the type of speed workouts that lo- the slow twitch athletes would use. <clears throat> so when I first got out to Colorado, I was trying to train like Matt Carpenter. Matt Carpenter is an American mountain running legend. He just had his Pikes Peak record broken. And it's like a 22-year-old record or something like that. He was the incline, the Manitou incline record holder, Pikes Peak record holder, both the ascent and up and down. He was a legend. And his big thing was, no matter what I'm doing, I'm running like 12 by 400 every week flat. And it's what I kept reading about mountains and ultras because I was trying to get good at that one to two hour length mountain race especially at altitude, because that's what Spartan race was a lot at the time. And everyone was saying, you've got to get a ton of time on feet in the mountains, but you have to keep running fast and flat every week. It's what every training plan had, because the mountains will make you a monster aerobically, but it's just hard to pop off the ground going up. You're doing so much power hiking, you're going to slow and dull your stride. And I tried that. And I didn't get better on either front. I found myself running like a 12 to 15 by 400 or 10 by 400 and getting done and thinking, this isn't going to make me any better at a 5k. This isn't going to make me any better at a mountain marathon. But it also wasn't so intense or nasty that I felt like I got a ton of training stimulus today. So it wasn't even the speed workout I'd go to if I wanted to get faster. And it certainly was an entire day plus a recovery day wasted towards approaching my goal, which is being a one to two, two and a half hour mountain runner. And eventually I had to come mm-hmm. to the conclusion that for a good mountain runner, who's a slow twitch athlete, you have to run short and fast every week. And it's going to change your running, even in the mountains by doing 12 by 400 each week. But that's not me. I need to do the reverse of that. I need to go four by 12 every week uphill every week out. Yeah. I needed to grind uphill because we had talked about here. I had done, what, I think seven or eight different season openers between college and last year, this year, in a mile. And I've, I have like a seven-second spread between the two of them. I run the same mile time within seven seconds no matter what training I'm doing. Even if I'm only training for a mountain ultra, I can still run a mile. Maybe not at a world-class level, but at my level, I can hit near my ceiling no matter what I'm doing. But if I train for the mile, I cannot extend past a 5K. If I train for a marathon, I can descend down to a mile with no issue whatsoever. I don't lose turnover because naturally that's what I have. So it took some reading even to find the wrong thing for me. But finding the wrong thing led me to what do I feel and what is the right thing for me. So that fast versus slow twitch was very important for me realizing what I respond to was very, very, very key. But then finding the first version in the 80, wasn't out yet. So my first version of slowing down and running less quality was Phil Maffetone. Phil Maffetone with his math method, which is maximum aerobic function, basically running at aerobic threshold, almost slightly above all the time, like aerobic threshold exclusively, almost exclusively for weeks and months at a time. I've come around to just think that's kind of a crap system. However, it was the first thing that slowed me down and thus made me run longer and more frequently. And because I wasn't beat up all the time, even though the math system wasn't very effective for me, especially at altitude in the mountains, it was very 
unaffective. It kept me from my tendencies, which were, we're going to run hard every other day and hit quality working. We're going to run five. My, my original plans I wrote for myself and others, there was always 3K pace and 5K pace and the slow end of the spectrum was 10K pace. And it just got me away from that. And then what I started finding is that because I didn't trust my heart rate monitor on days it would die, I'd end up closing down the second half of my runs in the mountains or descending, ripping my descent all the way back to the bottom, or just doing something by feel. And that was the start of my progressive long runs, Kirk. So even though math training, Phil Maffetone's method, didn't, didn't resonate with me long term, it led me to discover something about myself that no training plan had taught me yet, which was, I'm not a mileage monster, but I have to run medium long runs relatively frequently with a few legit long runs, but I have to do grindier stuff. And if I just touch upon speed, even just from descents, if I rip a thousand foot descent in the low fives or high fours, that's enough speed work that I can go out and run a good 800 meter. It's a weird system for me, but it's what works for me. So it's partially science-based and it's partially what do I feel works for me. So those were probably my two biggest moments in training. Had I read 80-20, had 80-20 come out a decade earlier and I read it then, that would have combined everything I needed into one. But I, it would have probably shortcut a few of my hard-learned lessons. Yeah, we, uh, we're very similar that way, um, muscle fiber-wise as well. Yeah. I think uh, we, can we, sprint, we respond. We can jump. We were ball sport athletes. Similarly. Who had just enough endurance to run. And we learned over time. Correct. We can do all those other things naturally. We need to extend. It also explains why in the beginning of the season, you start doing interval work right away when track starts up and yep. you're popping right away all of a sudden. And then you're like, I'm three races in and I stayed the same almost the majority of the rest of the yeah. track season. At least that happened to me. I'd pop a good cross race in the first two or three races of the season and then stay put. Um, so it sounds like both of our revelations are somewhat similar. Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, cross. I got better every week. The whole season. Because I was running thousands of miles. Yeah. <laughs> and then track, yeah, I would improve yeah, all yeah. indoor season, PR outdoor, my first race, and then just sit there. And the only time I would P I'd PR at last chance meets mm. again because I'd been tapering for three weeks and I finally just had a different stimulus. If I had to do it again, I'd run cross every year and I'd run with the 5K, 10K guys all indoor. And yeah. I'd probably run just as well indoor. Probably my 400 would be a little worse, but it didn't matter. And then I'd sharpen down with the mile guys outdoor and I'd race the 800 off that or the mile. Well, it's just but interesting. It's all, it's always hindsight, right? We, right. Well, we, and you don't know till you know, and it was, yeah, why would I show up to cross country after base season summer training and just be one of the few guys popping? But then as the season went on, they all slowly caught up to me and then some passed me by the end of the season where I just kind of like stayed the same. I was working harder. Even you could say, yeah. and I was not getting any better. It's just very ironic. And so having those revelations for yourself, for us, it was, Hey, slow down, you idiot. And mm -hmm. what type of quality sessions does your training, what does your body respond best to? I think everybody is going to learn from the, Hey, slow down, you idiot side. I think everybody mm -hmm. here should probably adhere to most of that, that side of the philosophy. And then I do, I think feeling out, because there's going to be a theory out there or a book out there or a subject study out there that's going to outline your physiology and you're going mm -hmm. to, it's going to start to resonate with you. So for kind of using those as guiding principles, um, as far as, so really the answer is a combination of both, right? The subject study or the, the episode title is like science or what do you follow science or do you follow what's best for you? And so obviously mm -hmm. our answer is both. Yeah. 
what more do you do is best for you which science is best for you yeah because there's a million ways to do it and there are world champs and world record holders off of every style of training there's ever been because it worked for them and sometimes and this is i think the most difficult part for athletes there is a shinier better training system that has a chance of hitting your ceiling closer to the ceiling but it doesn't keep you available and you need to be available to enjoy running you need to be healthy you need to be motivated and you need to be consistent and sometimes it's the training plan that is a notch below that that is your best sometimes pro coaches their ultimate job is to keep an athlete from working too hard Mm -hmm. there's a better system for this athlete that could get them all the way to their peak but we're never going to get there if i can just keep them at like 88 percent they can win nationals. If I can get them to 92%, they win a world champ. And if we get up to 95%, they're probably going to set a world record and they might get hurt. Sometimes it's the suboptimal scientific method that keeps you happy, healthy, and available is your best. And that's what I run into all the time because I'm a tinkerer. I look at my training plan and I just see, because I've had, what, 20 years of researching this, maybe 15, I see the places this could be optimized. I'm lucky in that I, if I read something, I can usually retain it. It stays forefront of mind. So I see my plan. I'm like, oh, but this would, and this system, and I could do this, and this would be better. And eventually I have just planned myself right into an injury or right into inconsistency because now everything that is on there is perfect and it has to remain perfect in order for me to stay confident with this. Where if I just gave myself a B plus training plan, I could casually follow it every day for a year. And me in B plus shape is a happy, successful runner. So it's finding which science is best for you and your temperament and your physicality. I don't know. Consistent B plus training typically gets rounded up to A type racing in my opinion. If it's consistent. Yeah. Uh Yeah. I, I think also the question when you say like science versus intuition or what's best for you versus what you're told is best for you, I think a lot of people, myself included, for some reason, it goes right to, okay, what should my quality sessions be? But then mm-hmm. volume's also the biggest part of that equation. Like, how much should I be running? Like, more is always better, right? Right, Bracken? More is always better, right? That always yeah. isn't the case. Do you have, just to speak to that side of the coin, before we get too long-winded with this, um, do you have any... Uh, advice on the volume side of things. Because right now we're talking about general philosophies. We're talking about sort of the, you know, the non-sexy and then the opposite side of the coin, the sexy, right? Mm -hmm. Quality work versus recovery. But volume is the question a lot of people really have. How much? Even if, even as often as like, what specifically? Like how much of everything? Do you have any sort of uh, recommendations there? Science versus intuition on volume? Well, what all these plans really are is a balance of intensity and volume. The reason it's high volume, low intensity or low intensity or high, high intensity, low volume is because that it's really hard to sustain both. If you have high volume, high intensity, you're always struggling to recover. And if you have a low volume, low intensity, you're not getting a lot of stimulus. So half of what these things are is just modulating rest and recovery. And when in doubt, I think it's best to choose the plan that allows you to run the most. And generally, that is a more polarized approach. Less frequency and volume of intensity allows you just to run more often in between. So that is a great place for most people to start. And I say that for two reasons. First is that early on, 
you're going to get better doing anything you, you're doing. So you might as well work on getting better at running, which means run as often as possible. And if that, if you can only run 30 minutes a day, you're going to want to run as many times per week to get those 30 minutes doses as often as possible. And you don't need a ton of quality because you're just getting better at running every day. And your systems are going to improve across the board because you're doing stuff you've never done. So it keeps you healthier. It keeps you more frequent and it allows you to dose your skill work more frequently. And then the other side of the coin is that it saves the good stuff for when you need it. So I think that when in doubt, the first thing you should do is 80-20 running on the most basic version of it. Save the spicy stuff for when you stagnate. Save adding another quality day for when you stagnate or for when mentally you need a kick in the pants, something to excite you if kicks in the pants excite you. But that's where I start. I think that it's easy to go, let's just do three to four quality days a week and not run much in between and do a bunch of cross training. But I think the opposite is true for most people. Let's run as frequently as possible, even if you don't run quite as long. And let's hold off on more quality work until you're ready for it. More of the greasing the groove philosophy. Yeah. In a yeah, sense. I think so. Yeah. 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 I think when it boils down to it's, um, there's going to be some uh, experimenting going on on your end. Whatever is potentially right for somebody else doesn't necessarily mean it's right for you. And you're probably going to, in a sense, cherry pick what resonates. And you've probably learned through your own trials and errors and then reading it and being like, aha, this actually sounds about right. But it doesn't mean you're going to nail it out of the gates. I think it's always going to be, as Bracken said, tinkering. And it's a lot of what I would say losses and wins and hard lessons and suddenly easy days and good races and bad days and bad races and overtraining and undertraining and injury and also health and all of those things that are combined with like things that you just can't learn by only reading a book and you can't just learn by only going out and putting on your running shoes and blindly choosing to run whatever feels right that day. Um, I think it's going to have to be a combination of everything. And I can't point to one resource I've ever read or come across that is true 100% to me. And I can't think of if I just let my intuition guide me without any outside information, I don't know where I'd be, but it wouldn't be probably great. It's a yeah. combination of everything. And I just don't think there's a shortcut way to get there. I mean, you started labeling all the or listing all the books you had read and the bits you had taken, and you had a long list, an impressive list, a, a list that I, I'm I would feel comfortable knowing my coach has read. At the same time, mm -hmm. that didn't happen overnight, and nope. it's it's not a it's not a quick thing. So I think just com knowing that this is a process, and that's why it's so rewarding, right? Trial, error, wins, vic victories, defeats, all of that. I think it's just. It's a process. You can't rush the process. And our bodies are living things that take a while to respond and adapt and understand yeah. to the stimulus. And so um, I guess a lot of people probably listen to podcasts or look for magic answers or things like that. I don't necessarily think this is going to be one of those, but I think it can set expectations at least and maybe strike some curiosity. So that's kind of how I want to just put a bow tie and mostly your knowledge bombs that you dropped today. But what do you, what do you want to, how do you want to bow tie this thing? I want to bow tie it by asking you, if you could only have athletes, if they want to start this out, if they could only read one book and then if they could only read two books, what should they start with? Because people do want to start somewhere and to be told where to start. The hardest part of any first step is knowing where to step. Where do I even start? So let's give people our number one, if you could only read one thing, and then our number two. Hmm. 
for pure learning, for learning purposes. For for giving yourself, if you could only read one, like for all the rest of eternity, knowing how to train as an athlete, just want one thing to guide you, what would it be? But then if you got two, one place to start and one place to go next, what they would be. I think my second answer is going to surprise you. My first answer is going to surprise nobody. Is um, It's actually going to be the 80-20 running because uh, even no matter what I choose for the 80 or what I choose for the 20, as long as I have a strong discrepancy, I'm going to maintain a good level of fitness without burnout. And once burnout happens, mm-hmm. it's over for me. Uh, hence I'm taking a break right now because maybe I got my formula wrong. Um, so that's going to be, I mean, it kind of feels like a cheap answer, but it, it is true. Just the principle of going hard infrequently and going longer and easier frequently. So that's my first, what would yours be? I think it's where everyone has to start. I truly believe that that's the place to go. 80, 20. I think that's my first. If you get two, if you only get one, I would point towards something like science of running or something that touches upon all facets of running. Yeah. If you only got one for all of eternity, but if you're going to start out and progress the first place to go to build your basic understanding of what are my guiding principles moving forward is 80, 20 training hundred percent because it sets yeah. the stage for everything that comes next Correct. because, and he talks in there that it's not just 80, 20, it's a lot versus a little. And that can be 70, 30 or 90, 10 or whatever it's going to be. But it sets the stage for how do we understand how you should formulate training. So that should be the first place that people go. Yeah. Okay. Glad you agree with me there. What's your second then? And then I'm going to give you one that I don't think you probably wouldn't predict, but. I don't have a second, Kirk. I think the second book you read is based off what your reaction to 80-20 is. If you want to know more science or you want to go down a specific route, I think you go to science of training or total heart rate training or the Norwegian approach, uh, reading something by Marius Bakken, or you go towards Horvath's five-speed uh, training system. Whatever piques your interest about 80-20, that's what you pursue in your second book. But I think the answer then becomes obvious. If you leave that going, I want to know about speed work, Pick one of the books we talked about. If you want to know about mm. crazy intensity or crazy volume, you go in that direction. If you're like, I want to head to the mountains with this, you get uphill athlete. And see, this is where almost it's your own personal biases is how you would choose your second book now 100%. because it'd be the one that resonated. It'd be the one that you resonated should. with you the most, yeah. right? And so my answer, and you kind of, you kind of used the word button hook last week on our episode, but you button hooked me again. You asked me a question you didn't have an answer to, which is a jerk Correct. thing to do. Yeah, but. Um, my second book is training for the uphill athlete, mostly because okay. it gave me the revelation of what type of athlete I am. And I s- will die on the rock that focusing on uphill work has hands down been one of the most important factors to making me a better and faster flatland runner, not only from mm-hmm. the speed, speed extension, but the durability standpoint, the less pounding standpoint, the longevity standpoint, and just taking principles. And they talk about lower leg work and all this other stuff. Anyways, that book just resonated with me. And honestly, training for the uphill athlete is translated to my flat. The reason I recommend it is to what it's done for my flat running. Mm-hmm. Talk about a walking contradiction and ironic, but it bled into because of the type of athlete I am, it resonated with me. So there's personal biases through that completely. Well, I agree with you completely. And I even agree that if you're, or I don't know if you said this, but I think you believe this. If you took training for the uphill athlete and just removed the hills from it and talked about everything as flat, 
it might still yes. be the best book for everyone to read because most runners approach it Fantastic. from what speed should I be running and how frequently? And they approach it from how do I build my entire body and engine to handle the demands of my race? And I need to be strong in the lower yep. half and I need to be able to modulate my, my speed and intensity uphill and I need to have staying power. So even if it was just training for the uphill athlete, but do everything flat, I think it would be a really, really, really good approach for most athletes to go with because we get too bogged down in the fancier stuff and they stick to how do you survive a mountain race? Most people need to survive yeah. their marathon and their 10K first before they worry about getting faster at it. Yeah. They say like, uh, if you want to talk about my, I should show you my training for the uphill athlete book. Um, uh, they say like, if you're a church goer, right? Well, the litmus test to your faith is how beat up is your Bible, right? Like, is the cover worn out? Are the pages falling apart? If you're an AA, it's how how worn out are the pages of your AA handbook and Bible, right? It shows, like, what you believe and how much you're practicing. My uphill athlete book is curled on all the corners. It's worn out. It's complete, like, it's just something I go to, toss around, use. It's sort of my, if you looked at all my running books, and I maybe have a few dozen, I just don't. I just can't speak of them as knowledgeably as you can on my bookshelf, but that one stands out as like, what happened to that thing? So like, right. I don't know. We probably all have a book that, that does that for us. And it's just, that's the one that does it for me. Most books are one and done. Most books I know by the end of this chapter two, if I'm ever going to use it again or not, but do you know a book I've been going to the most currently? I say, I don't train out of a book very often and I am right now. It's right here in front of me with, pages starting to curl and with uh, actual tabs i have different sheets triathletes of paper in here. training bible triathletes training bible kirk can you guess why that might be look at that um because it talks about system work probably yeah. um i would assume it's system work found and that's what this all boils down to but i could be wrong and balancing modalities. Triathletes mm-hmm. are the original hybrid athletes. And we understand right. system work, you and I, maybe not to the level that a master does, but we understand it well enough for our current purposes. But they are the masters of how often can I swim, bike, and run in a week, which to me is how often mm-hmm. can I ski or grow and run in a week? How often can I sled push, run, and assault bike in a week? So they've already figured Mm -hmm. out how to balance modalities and intensities, combining non-impact with impact, cardio with other forms of cardio. And so I've been going back through that a lot. I like it. I like it. Those are some of the books I used to, like uh, Carmichael's books back in the day. I was infatuated with Lance Armstrong. I wanted to know everything about what Lance did. And so going back before my time, you know, now I know what I know, but it reminds me of a lot of sort of that sort of reading I yeah. used to do. It makes me want to show you my uphill athlete book. Cause it's way more worn out than that triathlete book. I'm just saying for you. But I don't have much on you in this episode. So, <laughs> I, you know, I could one up you with one thing, I think. And that's you. It. You asked um, me to put a bow tie yeah. on this. So I'm going to put a disclaimer. Please on this. do. We got a message that is worth addressing this weekend, which is you guys talked about in your recent episode, Alberto Salazar's training and never addressed the fact that he's banned from the sport and and that he's linked to drug usage. And I think that's fair. In fact, his four-year ban just ended, I think this last week. He is banned from the sport. So when I talk about coaches, first and foremost, I am only, unless I specify, I am only talking about their methodology. It does not mean I endorse them, their personal practices, even the way they coach. I am talking about the X's and O's of their training systems. So I do want to be clear about that. I've mentioned multiple 
bad coaches on here who have great methodology. Secondly, picking a clean pro running group or a coach who's never approached the gray area is like trying to pinpoint an honest politician. They definitely exist, but you really are going to be hard pressed to find which ones they are and which ones have never worked with a dirty one. At this point, every pro group outside of the new ones has had a test, someone test positive. The new groups haven't. But every pro group has associated with an athlete or a coach or a trainer or a doctor or a physio who has. And so if we had to only talk about the coaches who are totally above suspicion, we wouldn't have much to talk about. So just know that I believe the top of every sport to be insanely dirty. And so I'm not talking about anything other than the X's and O's here. I don't believe that. I have more faith in humanity, Bracken. I, in some stance, in some cases, I'm a pessimist. And in terms of uh, cheating, doping, and just people being horrific people at the top of any industry, I'm a pessimist. Mm. These glasses are super rose-tinted over here. (laughs) Ever since Lance Armstrong broke my damn heart, I just shoved that back into the corner depths of anything possible. Shove it deep down and don't acknowledge it. You'll be fine. Damn you, Lance. Well, good job today, Bracken. Um, thank you guys for listening. We should have a good interview for you later this week. Talking about mm-hmm. science. Speaking of science and facts and all that stuff, we might get into that a little bit. You can only hope. Till next time, guys. See ya.